as we look at those uh, passages together. Father, would you come by your power of your spirit, speak to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many important events that take place in one's life, none more than the arrival of Cain and Philip. And uh, as Sarah and Carol will watch for his first steps, his first word, then Carl, you'll have the first date, first job. Well, I'm not sure which way that might work these days. First promotion. So there's many important events that take place in one's life. And often, for some people, an important event is meeting somebody famous. And I don't know whether you've ever met anybody famous or whether you haven't. But over the years in the, in the charity work that I was doing in Fields of Life, I met some interesting characters, and none more so interesting than the president of Burundi, who's now actually deceased. But I think it was around 2007, 2008, we were in his office in Burundi, and one of my fellow directors says, why don't you come to Northern Ireland for a visit? Now, who are we to invite a president to come anywhere for a visit, not alone to Northern Ireland? He accepted the invitation, which caused all sorts of consternation in the office in Northern Ireland, and uh, we got there. And he came and, of course, I had to introduce him to uh, Ian Paisley. And that was fine, we went into Paisley's office and we had a chat and tea and whatever. And then we went across to Sinn Féin's office. Martin McGuinness was away on holidays, so we were introduced to Jerry Kelly. And as I'm sitting there and the two men introduced each other, now the president of Burundi had been a, a former rebel leader. And uh, Burundi had come to peace at that stage. So Jerry Kelly introduced himself to Pierre Nukarinzi as I was the former bomber, the former IRA chief bomber. And I'm looking at these two guys and I'm said, in a different circumstance, one would have blown me up and the other would have cut my head off with a panga. Uh, it's amazing the people that we meet on our journeys. But regardless of the event or the person, no experience can measure of meeting with God. And everyone will meet with God one day or another. Some of us have the opportunity to do that now, but all of us will meet God whether we like it or whether we don't. Many refuse to consider this event. Some may even doubt the existence of God in the first place. Some may scorn at the thought and possibility of that they have to meet God face to face and give an account of their life. And there's many examples we could look at from scripture and we're only going to look at one this morning, and Yvonne read that passage from John uh, chapter 4, and if you want to follow it on the church Bibles, they're in the, in the back of the chairs. Uh, it's on page 1,066. And coming, so it's the story about the woman at the well. And coming to the city of Samaria, Jesus arrived at a piece of ground that was known, uh, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and it was known as, as Jacob's well. 
Jesus was wearied from the journey that he had made and I'm sure he sat close to the well for rest and refreshment. And here we see the humanity of Jesus that he actually, when he came to earth, he was like one of us. He got tired. He needed drink and refreshment. The disciples had gone off to, to look for food to, to give to Jesus and for themselves. But then a woman came to the well alone. It was about the sixth hour we read in John chapter 4 verse 6. And maybe it was her lifestyle. She had had five husbands and the man that she was now with was not her husband. We read later in the passage. And maybe her lifestyle met with disapprovement by the other women. And so she felt compelled to collect water at a separate time when normally people wouldn't go to collect water in that culture. Whatever the reason, she has a one-to-one -one encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ, which would change her life forever and would also change the life of her community. As I said, Jesus in chapter, in verse 8, Jesus had gone, disciples had gone into the city to buy food and Jesus was resting by the well. And suddenly, this woman comes into his sight. By his appearance, this woman could tell that this was a stranger and not one of her people, the Samaritans. So imagine her surprise when suddenly, because you need to remember that Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with each other. People would avoid going through Samaria. The Jews would avoid going through Samaria in case they would come into contact with the Samaritan. But here was Jesus coming straight through Samaria, and so she knew that he was, was, was different. So you can imagine how surprised she was, because in that culture, men didn't talk to women alone, and Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus said to the woman, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. Consider who Jesus is. It's incredible that he would ask for anything. But he did. He asked her for a drink of water. But often as in the case, when one starts to speak about Jesus Christ, people will start into a theological debate. And so she starts into a debate with Jesus how easily she was distracted from the business of being right with God, confusing religious debate with what God is saying. And she gets into a debate about where is the right place to worship. The woman asked Jesus, how is it you ask me? And Jesus answered, if only you knew who I am and what you have asked me for, I would have given you living water. It is Jesus who offers the gift of eternal life, which is both now and to come. And he refers to it here, living water. And the woman asked, how can you 
give this. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him shall never thirst again. The woman's response was, sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well to drink and drink again. But she didn't quite get it. She's looking and thinking in human terms. The gospel is not about necessary earthly benefits we may hope to receive, but about eternal and heavenly things. And Jesus told, has told the woman, in, 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 if you read on, and you can read on when you go home in, cha- in verse 16 and following, Jesus, this story goes on, the whole of chapter 4, and Jesus said to her, call your husband. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yes, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. It is well if we all realize that God knows all things. We cannot hide our deepest, darkest secrets from him. And at this point, the woman acknowledged that Jesus must at least be some sort of a prophet. But he is much more than that. And then she goes into this theological debate. She asks, where is the right place to worship God? Which was a huge area of contention between the Jews and the Samaritans. While not allowing her error about the place of worship for the Jews were in the right, the Lord explained the spiritual nature of true worship. And the woman professed that she was waiting for something to happen. She was waiting for enlightenment from the Messiah, for the Messiah to come. There is a time for waiting. But for her, the time had now come. And Jesus plainly told her, I that speak to you am he. Then all of a sudden the disciples come back from their trip to to get food. And they're astounded and amazed that they find Jesus in conversation with a Samaritan woman. But she left her, 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 her jar and she didn't fetch the water and she ran Uh, back into the city or into her village. She went back to the village with some exciting news. What had struck the woman about Jesus was that he knew everything she ever did. And she came to realize that he was not just a prophet, he was the Christ. And so she went to proclaim this good news to her community and you can imagine they knew what sort of a woman this was but yet when they went her message was simple come and see to which he added he is the Christ and the Samaritans in that community heard what the woman had to say about Jesus but they wanted to encounter Jesus for themselves we read in John chapter, or in chapter 4, verse 31, In the meantime, while his disciples prayed for him, saying, Master, eat. So while the woman was full of joys of her newfound faith, the disciples, with the best of intentions, were preoccupied with other matters other than faith, matters of the flesh. Jesus was engrossed in his mission and replied, 
I have meat to eat that you know nothing of. Ministry provides its own nourishment at times. And the disciples wondered if anyone had brought Jesus food. But Jesus went on to clarify the matter to the disciples and said, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Such is the love of God towards each one of us. He counsels his meat to do what he must do in order to make possible our salvation. Jesus quoted a proverb about the harvest. He said, looking up from the well, Jesus pointed the disciples to a rare sight. And one of the commentators says, distinguished by their white turbans, he could see the Samaritans approaching. Lift up your eyes, said Jesus. See how the fields are already white for harvest. The fields of the world to which the Lord would soon be sending his disciples. Samaria was just one field. But the scope of his mission was Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, including Shankill, Braid, Unliria, wherever you may be from this morning. Continuing his reference to the harvest, Jesus indicated how the reaper gathers fruit unto eternal life. There is joy involved in the grace harvest work of the gospel. And this is a true saying, one soweth and another reapeth. And Jesus says, I sent you to reap where you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you have entered into their labors. In other words, the disciples were going to reap what John the Baptist, the Old Testament prophets, had sowed. The prophets had declared that the, the Messiah was coming. Whereas the disciples were to declare that he had come. And we read, and many of the Samaritans believed on account of that woman who so enthusiastically ran to the city and called them to him. And we read later in the chapter that the Samaritans were so impressed with Jesus they asked him to stay. And he stayed for two more days teaching them the way of salvation. And we read in, in verses 39 to 41, and many more believed because of his word. We too must realize who Jesus is. We must submit to him, to proclaim him to others. We must not merely be satisfied with the testimony of others. But we must test these things out for ourselves. Then we will discover that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. I was reading this week about the brilliant professor of philosophy at London University, C.E.M. Jode. He was not a Christian. And he was asked on a radio program, if you could meet any person from history and ask them one question, who would you meet and what question would you ask? Professor Jode answered without hesitation, I would meet Jesus Christ and ask him the most important question in the world. Did you or did you not rise from the dead? There came a day in Professor Jode's life when he assessed the evidence of the resurrection, encountered Jesus for himself, and wrote a book called Recovery of Belief. If Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that changes everything. And we know from history he has risen from the dead. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus asked Peter a question. 
Who do people say that I am? Peter answered, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or a prophet. And then I can just see Jesus looking Peter straight in the eye and saying, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, despite all his failings and misunderstandings, got who Jesus was. And the same question I would ask of you today, who do you say Jesus is? My prayer is that you too can say, he is the Christ, the son of the living God, but more than that, you can say he is my Lord, he is my savior, because he wants to be your Lord and he wants to be the savior of your life. For many of you, this may seem difficult, may seem that you've been asking questions. If it is, I have a booklet here that I will leave here and you can take one. And it's called Why Jesus? And it explains some of the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection and it will explain more to you. But maybe you're here this morning and you've been wondering for a long time, what is Christianity? Christianity is not necessarily a religion, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you might say this morning, I would like this relationship with Jesus Christ for myself. Do you know, now is the time. Don't, don't leave it for, for another day. God never forces his way into anyone's life. You need to accept the gift that he offers and invite him to come and live within you by his spirit. And if you would like to have a relationship with God today, can I say a very simple prayer? And in the quietness of your own heart, you can say this prayer to begin this journey, to begin this relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you want to say this prayer in the quietness of your heart, then I encourage you to do that. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. And now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.